0: Good to see all of you. And we're going to look tonight at uh, uh, chapter two, uh, part of chapter two, half of chapter two. And boy, it is stout. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight for this incredibly powerful letter, Second Peter, uh, letters that burn. This burns tonight, Lord. It's on fire. It is your word. And we pray your blessing on it. We thank you that you're going to open our ears and eyes to glean from it, to learn from it, and Lord, to walk in it. Thank you that, Lord, this word tonight holds warnings. Uh, it's a sobering word, and it's an encouraging word. And we pray that, Lord, it might lead somebody to Christ and that it will encourage the saints of God that we don't have long before Christ comes back. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to burn tonight. I mean that in a good way. I don't mean in a bad way. I don't want to burn anybody. Um, but now, um, if you're here last time, we, we ended with Peter's explanation for how we got the Word of God. Right? Very important. Every believer's got to get this weighed down in the marrow of their bone. Where do we get the Word of God? It came from God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it says in uh, chapter one, verse twenty-one, Second Peter. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Not automatic writing kind of thing, but they were just gently moved along, and the Holy Spirit guided them, and they gave us the word. So the Bible is unlike any other book in the entire world. There's not another book in the world like the Bible. There's inspirational books, there are inspiring books. There's no inspired by God, inerrant books. Bible's it. Amen? So, chapter 1, we saw was about faith's convictions. Uh, And that's talking about the deep convictions we have regarding our faith in Jesus Christ. Faith's conviction. Our faith has convinced us Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and we have confidence in God's word, all right? Now, as we begin chapter two, we're going to explore faith's contentions. So last time we had faith's convictions. Now we have faith's contentions. What we're going to see Peter doing is he's going to deal with those who are denying the faith. He's going to address those. He's going to talk to us about people who are walking away from the faith. And they have also become, as they walk away, False teachers and false prophets. So he deals first with the doctrine of certain heretics, all right? And I'm going to tell you what heresy means in just a minute. Then he tackles their doom. So the doctrine of the heretics, the doom of the heretics, and then finally he's going to expose the deeds of the heretics. So the doctrine, the doom, the deeds, all about the heretics, all right? Now, he begins with the lying message of the heretics. Here it is. Verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be and are false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. What will they bring in? What do those heresies do? They destroy. All right? even denying the Lord who bought them, and they bring on themselves swift destruction. So here's what heresy is. This is a real simple definition, but here it is. It's a departure from solid biblical doctrine. That's it. That's heresy. Give you an example. If I used to be a professing Christian, maybe I still am, but I say Jesus Christ was not really begotten of God. He was not the only begotten of God. Uh, Mary did not have a miracle conception. That would be heresy, right? But if I tell you um, I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, I'll believe the rapture is going to happen at the end of the tribulation. uh, That's not heresy. We just disagree, right? Right? So there's essentials and non-essentials. Non-essentials, we can get together in fellowship. We can go out to lunch, have a great time, talk about Jesus with non-essentials. But if it's an essential doctrine, then then we have an issue because now you're teaching heresy. Jesus was not the only. How about this one? He's not the only way to heaven. That would be a heresy. And and if I brought somebody in to teach. And they stood up on the stage and told you, uh, well, I disagree with Pastor Jeff a little bit. I, I just don't believe he was the only way and the only truth and the only life. Not many of you would stay seated. Right? <laughs> and rush the stage. Bring out that long cane. Pull him off. Because why? Because that's heresy. Okay, it's a departure from solid biblical doctrine. So there's lots of non-essentials, but there are some key essentials there is no debate about. All right? One of them is uh, Jesus, the only begotten of God, the only way, truth, and the life, only way to heaven, and on and on. Now, a false prophet is somebody who proclaims a lying message he claims to have received from God. What did Peter say? He said there's going to come false prophets. There were false prophets, and there will be false prophets. False prophets never fully go away. They're always around. There's tons of them around us today. All right? What makes a false prophet a false prophet? is somebody who proclaims a lying message he claims to have received from God, but God didn't speak to him or her. He's just telling you God did, but God didn't say it. And we've got to get good enough in the word of God that when we hear a false prophecy, we know it, right? We know it. Most of the time when I hear a false prophecy, somebody say, God told me this, that, or the other. I can pretty quick at least have a um, feeling about whether or not that's really true. A lot of people walking around these days saying, God told me this, that, and the other. And if you pay real close attention to what they're saying, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. And how do I know that? I know that by knowing the word of God. That that, that doesn't sound like something my God would say. That doesn't ring true. That's not the way I see God talking. Uh, that That's not true to his character. or That just does not sit right with me. All right, false prophets, they're everywhere. And they're counting on you and me being biblically stupid because they can get all kinds of money. They can, they can go way down the road as long as we don't know our Bible. But it's made up in their own imagination. When a false prophet brings a false prophecy, they made it up. Uh, Peter builds his case by looking back to the false prophets who played God's people in Old Testament times. Okay, For instance, Jeremiah complained to God about, quote, the prophets who speak falsely, and my people, they love it. They love to have it so. They want you preaching stuff and prophesying stuff. The flesh likes. Elijah was challenged by 450 false prophets of Baal. And Isaiah spoke about how God's backslidden people actually wanted false prophets to tickle their ears. He said, prophesy not. Now, he's quoting the people. This is what the people's attitude was to Isaiah, a real prophet. Prophesy not not unto us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. You say, well, how terrible of them. Oh, folks, there's all kinds of people like that today. Don't tell me a real word from God that will convict me, make me want to repent. Uh, Doesn't tickle my flesh, uh, but it's serious and somber, and it requires something from me. Don't don't give me that. Give me the ear-tickling stuff. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, looked down the tunnel of time to our day, and he said, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Are we there? They will follow their own desires and look for teachers. Look, they will look for teachers. This is the sheep. They will look for teachers who will tell them whatever they their itching ears want to hear. Scratch my itch. Tell me something my flesh is going to like. God's going to make me rich. God's going to bless me this way, that way, and another way. I'm wonderful. I'm incredible. I've got it all going on. Uh, I'm God's gift to the world. You know, tell me things that are going to tickle my ear. Paul says, in the last days, God's professing sheep are going to look for teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth and chase after muthos, myths, made-up stuff, fables. That's what they'll chase after. Wow. Wow. Are we there? Oh, you better know we're there. Uh, Peter's point is that uh, just as they had false prophets, in those times there's going to be false teachers among you. Now he's telling us this. You're going to have false teachers and pro- false prophets show up amongst you. Now remember, false prophets claim a message from God that's not real. But false teachers are people who deliberately and knowingly distort or deny. The truth of God's word. They deliberately distort it. We're going to see why in a minute. They secretly introduce what he calls destructive heresies, creeping into the church beneath the radar. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Kumbaya. I love Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Do you know that you can say Jesus is Lord and still be a false teacher? They'll spout spiritual phrases, praise the Lord, I love Jesus, leading naive church folks to believe that they are authentic, but they're not. Not the false teachers and false prophets. That's why God's people have got to know the Bible. we got to know it better than we know any other book in the world. we got to know that Bible, if for nothing else, to save your skin. Because it will protect you. It will watch over you. It'll guide you. It'll keep you. It'll counsel you. It'll be a light to your path. Without knowing it really, really well, you're in danger of being deceived, especially in these last days. Now, Jesus gave to his followers a litmus test for finding out if somebody's a false prophet or a false teacher or not. He said, You'll know them by their fruit. The fruit of their doctrine, the outcome of their teaching, Including how they conduct their own personal lives, when you get a glimpse into how they're living, uh, you read about how they're living. Um, you look at what kind of fruit. Some some things you got to give time. You got a false teacher. He starts. Let's say he gets a big following because there's a lot of false teachers that have great big followings. Okay, but you got to track it for a while, and you'll begin to see the fruit amongst their their followers, the fruit that's being born in their life. In other words, what effect is their teaching having on those that are listening to them? Over time, how do they live? What, is their, what are their values? Do they truly honor Christ? Do they truly, truly honor God? Do, do, they, do they produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith? You know them by their fruit the outcome of their teaching, how they conduct their personal lives. False teachers and prophets abounded in the early church. Do you know out of all the New Testament letters, only one has nothing about false teachers? You
1: know which one? Philemon, which is all about going and
0: bringing a runaway slave home. That's it. All the other epistles. All of them, in one place or another, deal with false teaching. Why would that be if it doesn't matter to God? Why would that be if it doesn't matter to God,
1: if it's not a true danger?
0: Second Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, 2 John, loud warnings mixed with doctrinal clarification to counter false teaching. It's every, because it was everywhere. For instance, let me give you an example. In in Paul's day, all right, and Peter's day, the Gnostics, there were the Gnostics. That comes from the Greek word gnosis, depending on who you're listening to, gnosis or gnosis, which is the word for knowledge. And Gnostics said that they had an inside track on the knowledge of God. Anytime anybody says that to you, I got an inside track. I got some revelation that you need to hear about, that you hadn't heard about yet, it's fresh. If it's new, it's not
1: true. Do you get that? If it's new, it ain't true.
0: Bad English, good preaching. All right? No, if it's, if it's new, it's not true. If somebody says to me, I got a new revelation. I say, have a great day. See you later. Because there is no new revelation. There's old revelation that because it's the word of God, it's always new. It's always fresh. It always feeds your soul. The new revelation nah, it's not true. Remember that. So the Gnostics taught this, and they, they taught that all matter was evil. And so, therefore, your body was evil. So, therefore, Jesus Christ did not come. God did not visit Earth in the form of a human body because human bodies are evil. That was the teaching of the Gnostics, and and, the, and John addressed them over and over again. You'll see John emphasizing he came in the flesh. He came in the flesh,
1: and he emphasizes it. Why? Because he's countering.
0: Gnosticism. There were the Judaizers who taught that you had to mix Old Testament legalism with New Testament grace in order to be saved. Paul wrote to Galatians because they had swallowed this hook, line, sinker. Paul said, who has bewitched you? Having begun in, uh, under grace, now you're perfected by the law? Are you kidding me? How have you so quickly departed from the truth? that is in Jesus, Judaizers. Uh, Peter says these false teachers literally deny the Lord that bought them. Now, catch this. Whether or not they outright verbally deny Christ, they deny him in their teaching, and they deny him in their lifestyles. Because like I said, you can get up and say, Jesus is Lord, hallelujah, kumbaya, and, and still be a false teacher. but. You also deny him in what you teach. You've got to watch carefully what they're teaching because a false teacher is going to say, catch me now, watch this, a false teacher, a good one, he's going to say 98% true and then throw 2% bad stuff in there. And you'll walk away going, well, he was mostly right. He was wrong on that one little thing or two, but it turns out that one little thing or two was an essential. So they lure you in saying all the right stuff. Hallelujah. Praise God. And God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. And then they teach. And and so far, so good. And then all of a sudden, this zinger comes. What did they just say? What?
1: And you catch it. A little leaven
0: leavens the whole lump. Ecclesiastes says, one little fly. And a whole vat of perfume ruins it. They forsake the simplicity that is in Christ. They complicate it. Salvation by grace through faith is the message of the word of God. We're saved by grace through faith, period. But they'll complicate it. You got to this, you got to that. You need to this, you need to that. They'll, they'll undermine. Listen, we're in a time when many false teachers and false doctrines abound. Are y'all aware of that? Tell me you're aware of that. Are you aware of that? Because I know I say this a lot, but I got to know. Do you know it? Really know it? Twisted theology, nutty stuff, loony stuff, fairy tale stuff. Twisted theology that denies key foundational doctrines of Scripture abound on every hand. They litter the landscape of social media. Social media
1: has a false prophet
0: on every corner. A false people going on there, God told me this, God told me that, and you listen carefully to what they're saying and the teaching they weave in with it, and you go, where did you get that? That's not my God.
1: Are y'all with me? Bookshelves,
0: TV shows, movies, and unfortunately, a lot of pulpits have gone sideways. Innocent false teaching.
1: Person and work of Christ are minimized or altered
0: to fit a false narrative. Cults have proliferated. They're, they're all over the place. You got Jehovah's Witnesses. What's wrong with them? Oh, well, they deny the trinity, hell, the deity of Christ and his bodily resurrection, just a few essentials. There's Mormonism, which teaches the old lie of the devil, that you shall be as gods. You and I are never going to be God. Right? And even Catholicism, I got to be careful here, but let me just I got to say it. There's a lot of teaching in in Catholicism that's false. Exalting the Virgin Mary to the level of co-redemptrix? Really? I need Mary to help get me saved? Or I can pray to Mary and she goes to her son for me? No. That's an essential. A priest can change a wafer into the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus? Which is what good Catholics believe every mass. I get that wafer. The priest does what he does, and that becomes the the body, the literal body of my Lord. So Jesus is divvied up into millions of pieces all over the world. Every every Mass. Transubstantiation—that's not real. That's not a Bible doctrine, but it's taught. I could go on.
1: Are you with me? So you got to listen to what you're
0: hearing and go: Is it there? Do I see it in my Bible? Now, Peter describes next the moral lives of false teachers and prophets. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Please catch that, everybody. The way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, destructive, their destructive ways, that word is from a word meaning pernicious, which points to a person who has abandoned all moral restraint pernicious, destructive, pernicious, abandoning all moral restraint and revels in indecent behavior, revels in it. Many will follow their pernicious, immoral ways. Uh, Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed
1: because they're standing in the place of teacher.
0: Peter says these shameless apostate teachers will finally endorse. Please catch this. This is amazing. They will endorse as normal the most foul and filthy lifestyles imaginable. Their whole thing is going to be to normalize perversion. Are we there? They'll be active players, these false prophets and false teachers who have gone sideways, departed from sound biblical doctrine. Some of them will play a key role in normalizing perversion,
1: normalizing it. Instead of vilifying it, normalizing it. I'm going to name names. The United Methodist Church.
0: Episcopalian church, Presbyterian church. Those are just three examples of national denominations, international, who have forsaken their roots and sanctioned the ordination of homosexuals and marrying same-sex couples. And they've had huge, There's, there's been, wow, I read today how many have left the Methodist, the United Methodist Church officially, USA. How many churches have de- departed from it? To form their own branch. A thousand, something like that. Tons of them. 1.3, I forget. A lot have left because they wouldn't bend on this whole thing of ordaining people living in perversion.
1: As Paul wrote in Romans
0: 1 who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of what?
1: In the Old Testament, God killed you for that. Maybe you're so glad
0: we're not in the OT. I'm so glad I'm in the NT, because if we were in the OT, there wouldn't be very many believers on the planet or people on the planet. But look, he says deserving of death. Now, what are they doing? They know the righteous judgment of God. In other words, they're not ignorant of God. Or of consequences for sin. But look what they do. Not only do the same. In other words, they live that life. But they also approve of or celebrate those who practice them. They celebrate them.
1: They celebrate the practice. They celebrate the sin.
0: We're there. And it's not only going to grow worse, or it's only going to grow worse until Christ returns. It's going to grow worse. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, Paul wrote. Wow, are we there? Next, Peter focuses on the motive of false teachers and prophets. Here's their motive, a bunch of them. Verse 3, by covetousness, they'll exploit you with feigned words. Covetousness means a craving to have more. The idea is these false teachers are after your money. Now, there's a shock.
1: They're after your money. They're on TV. They're on the radio, not me. I don't ask for
0: money on radio ever. Um, they're in books. When they speak at a place, they're all about getting the money. They teach what they teach to get the money. I hope I'm not disillusioning some of you. Now there's some really good ones out there. Good, trustworthy, honorable preachers and teachers and ministers. And I thank God for them. Most of them are unheralded, unknown, just just pushing that plow in the kingdom of God. Wherever God has placed them until they go home or Jesus comes and gets them. And, and, our, and, and the world is full of people like that. But a lot of the time, it's these false ones that get the, the, most, uh, the most attention and the most followers. It's interesting, with feigned
1: words,
0: it's from the Greek word plastos. We get plastic from that. Feigned is plastic. It means the words they speak are fabricated or molded, craftily fashioned to deceive people in order to get their money.
1: <laughs> are we there? Can you think of a few?
0: It's all about money. When you listen to them, it's all about money. Don't take me long. You can listen to some people every other minute, it's going to be about money. I immediately go, "Uh uh-uh, no. It's one thing to share a need, but if that's your primary message, it's off. Was that Paul's primary
1: message? Peter, James, John, Jude, Jesus? No. So if it's not there, it's not true. So Peter's really describing spiritual con men. Y'all are so quiet. They craft their words carefully
0: to get your money from you. Now, I don't want to kill giving, but I think you need to be very careful who and what you give to. Be sure that it's going to reaching people for Christ. Be, Be sure that it's going to further the gospel of the kingdom and the kingdom of God. And it's not going to make somebody rich in their mansion. Thank you. I got a hand out there somewhere. Amen, amen, amen. All right. In the second half of verse 3, he addresses the doom of the false teachers and prophets. Look at the second half of 3. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Their judgment is at the door. Though it seems as if their judgment is slumbering, sleeping, taking too long, it is at the door, Peter is telling us. Now, next, he illustrates God's wrath on unrepentant sin by pointing out three separate entities that experience the judgment of God. Let's scoot through them real quick. Are you ready? Verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, angels, everybody say angels. So the first entity is holy angels. If he did not spare the holy angels who sinned, but cast them down where? To hell. And deliver them into what? Chains of darkness to be reserved for what? Judgment. Now, a lot of people don't understand sin didn't begin on earth with Adam and Eve. Sin happened before Adam and Eve. The first sin was pride, and the carrier was the devil when he was Lucifer. The Bible says he literally saw it. That's what pride will do to you. Pride makes you crazy. You way overestimate yourself. And Lucifer overestimated himself because the Bible says Lucifer, the archangel, was beautiful, stunning, gifted, magnificent in the angelic hierarchy. And he, he I don't know if there was a mirror, but he looked at something and said, I'm all that in a bag of chips and I'm, I'm going to be equal to God. So he ascended up in, uh, towards the throne of God to overthrow him. Pride made him crazy. On the heels of his judgment, he carried with him a third of the heavenly hosts. It says in Revelations, his, Satan's tale, drew a third of the stars, stars as angelos, messengers of heaven, the angels. And threw them to the earth. Jesus said in Luke 10 18, I saw, I witnessed Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw it. When this happened, when this judgment happened to Lucifer, he became Satan. And the fallen angels became demons. Their current sphere of activity is our planet. And they actively hold our world in bondage. John writes, The whole world lies under the sway or the power of the wicked one, the evil one, um, the devil. Jesus called the devil the prince of this world, not the king of the world, but the prince of this world. And these fallen angels work ceaselessly, tirelessly to hinder God's purposes on earth. They harbor great hatred for the Jewish people. And the lord's blood-bought church, Peter says, their final judgment is certain, and warfare, let me inform you, dear church, it's never going to stop until we go to heaven. Satan never lets up. Uh, how many of you have fought the devil already this week? And, and if you think you haven't, you're deceived. If you're a child of God, you've already fought him. How many of you fought him today? How many of you
1: fought him to get even to get to church tonight? You bet. These fallen angels, listen, but
0: Peter says their judgment is certain. So God didn't spare angels. Will he spare people? Mm-mm. Next he goes to Noah's generation. Verse 5, did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah. One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, Bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. The people of Noah's generation are called the antediluvians. They lived before the flood. The antediluvian world, the whole world, men, women, children, mammals, the only thing that survived that flood was marine life and whatever was on the ark and eight human beings. That's it. God didn't spare the ancient world. What is Peter telling us? If he didn't spare them, is he going to spare you? If you, he's talking to the world now, the unrepentant world. If God did not spare the old world, is he going to spare you? No. The Bible is clear as to why God brought the great flood in Noah's time. Genesis 6 says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only, only, only evil constantly, mankind had sunk so low, not for one microsecond, did a man on earth have a righteous thought. I used to read that and go, that's impossible. Not now do I think that. Genesis also tells us the earth was filled with violent bloodshed. So here's here's the antediluvians. Pandemic violence, rampant immorality. And total apathy toward God and his warnings of coming judgment characterized Noah's generation. Are we there? After giving that generation 120 years to repent at Noah's preaching, God sent the flood because he hadn't had one convert in 120 years. I would give up preaching, I think. You know, I see like Sunday, we had 18 people baptized. We had people come to Christ, rededicate their lives to Christ. It, it was an incredible Memorial Day Sunday. But I think if I preached, if I preached for 100 years and not one convert, I, how many of you would wonder about your calling? Like, this, this isn't working. How's that working out for you? I don't have any converts. But Noah kept right on preaching. What a man of faith! What a man of faith he was. So look at this. God judged angels, and he judged the world of Noah's time. Now, Peter is going to go to one more group, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh-oh. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into what? Ashes. Condemn them to what? I've got two of you answering me. You look up there. He, what did he condemn them to? Destruction. And why did he do it? He made them an example to those who afterward would live the same way. If you study um, history, you'll see that from time to time, God will make an example of a person or a nation. He made an example of Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. He made an example of cities in Sodom and Gomorrah to highlight what he thinks about certain sins. Peter says that God made an example of the Twin Cities. It's his showpiece of what he thinks of sodomy. Can I shoot straight tonight? Can I just tell? I'm not going to do politically correct talk. All right? So let me just tell you, the overthrow of the pornographic and violent culture of Noah's time and the perverted culture of Sodom and Gomorrah stand right
1: next to each other in the Bible.
0: It's worth remembering that Jesus predicted the generation that saw his return would be like both the antediluvian generation of Noah and the people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It would be like that. It would be like that. It would look like that. They would be behaving like that or be behaving like that. So we're safe to assume, based on Peter's words, that the end time apostasy we now see coming into full flower right now is going to be accompanied by the growth of abnormal, vile
1: wickedness throughout the world. I'm going to give you one quick example of how I know that we have to be near his
0: return, and it breaks my heart. It's hard for me to even say it because I could point to so many examples. This whole push to sexualize children with the transgender movement. You can say what you want,
1: but you go into Target, you go into Kohl's, you go into um, several now. And there's little garments for one-year-olds. Talking about being proud to to be gay. Now,
0: now I ask you, why does a one-year-old need sexualized garments? Because those one-year-olds have three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old brothers and sisters. Who look at that and they, and what did I say a little while ago about normalizing perversion. We're, we're looking right now at, at it, it shocks me every day how our nation has
1: opened the door of hell to actively try to
0: sexualize little children, and normalize to them what God condemns,
1: the worst of sins. And June 16th, the L.A. Dodgers, a Major League Baseball team, (laughs) take
0: me out to the ballpark. I was raised on baseball. My dad had me throwing a baseball before I could walk. I was raised on the New York Yankees. I was born in New York. Don't hold it against me. But I was raised in New York. uh, I was born in New York, and my dad, I knew all about Roger Maris, Mickey Mantle, uh, Babe Ruth, Yogi Berra. I knew about them before I knew how to talk. Because my dad, my dad cried when Mickey Mantle died. So I'm raised on baseball, mom, America, apple pie, Chevy, baseball. And
1: yet, June 16th, the L.A. Dodgers have invited to honor the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Who's that? They are. Christ haters, they are professional blasphemers, they get on crosses and make perverted gestures on the crosses, they are bigots, and they are going to a stadium of people on TV, mock the cross of your Savior and mine. Their whole name, Sisters of Perpetual
0: Indulgence, has to do with mocking nuns and mocking um, the crucifix. The Dodgers management has been approached over and over again. Please don't do this. They backed off once. Then they came right back in and, and set it back in place. Um, folks, listen, I don't know how long you've been around. I've been around a while. I've grown up in America. And I'm going to tell you that this would not have even gotten down the street 20 years ago. It would not have even been considered. But now, but not only are they, have they been invited in. They are going to be honored
1: in the name of diversity.
0: Oh, come on. That's not diversity. How's that diversity if you're deeply offending millions of Christians
1: all over America and the world? But, folks, this is where we are if I didn't believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ,
0: I'd be looking for a nice little place somewhere in Belize. But I believe the gospel is the answer to this madness. The gospel is the answer to this sickness. But this is sickness. This is, you know, you're no longer, you are, you have left the reservation out there. You have gone, you have departed and gone where, boy,
1: Angels fear to tread.
0: The only reason I'm telling you that is to highlight how Jesus said, it's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be like the antediluvian Noahic generation. Okay?
1: Was he right? Can you believe
0: this? I can't. I just... Right when you think you've read it all and it can't get worse, something comes along and it's worse. Now, I don't want to be totally negative. We had 18 people baptized Sunday. We had people come to Christ Sunday. And I have to believe that when you go that direction, when you when you go that direction, you're going to end up you're going to end up in hell. You're going to end up in a terrible place from which you will need deliverance and the deliverer will be Jesus, the Son of the Living God. He turns next to Lot, and I'm going to finish real quick. He talks about Lot, and we'll finish with this. And and God delivered righteous Lot. Verse 7, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Do you feel that way now? Isn't it a vexing, tormenting thing to see these things happening? Prior to sending his fierce wrath onto Sodom, God made a distinction. He made a distinction, hallelujah, between the righteous and the wicked. He delivered righteous Lot from the fires of judgment. He did the same with Noah, stating Noah was a just man. He's going to do the same thing with the church. He's going to make a distinction. Those are my people, and they're coming out. Amen? Amen. 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 Now, God finally judged Sodom when sexual perversion was not just an alternative lifestyle, but the lifestyle. The lifestyle. That's when he judged them. Notice how God calls the homosexual lifestyle lawless. It's against natural law. Flying in the face of God's original intent for man and woman, marriage and everything else. Boy, I can really expect some interesting things when this goes on the radio. Because, you know, a lot of preachers won't touch this with a 30-foot pole. But it has it's there in the Bible. I'm not, listen, I, I'm not looking for trouble. But if I'm going to teach through the Bible, you've got to, because here it is. I can't just skip over verses and say, well, God's word, I can't honor it there.
1: Let's stand together, can we?
0: I'm hopeful that God is going to do amazing things in the days to come, that we're going to see all kinds of people delivered out of this muck and mire of cultural rot. Amen? I believe that. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. And Ronnie's gone, so I am on my own. But I'm not going to sing a solo. So, Lord, thank you for your blessing tonight. Thank you for this powerful, powerful word. Thank you for telling us the truth and that there are consequences to national sin. And we do pray tonight that you have mercy on all the little children that are being sexualized and groomed and, and um, coaxed and lured and, into this
1: lifestyle. Have
0: mercy and help Christians to stand up with a spine and not to cower and be afraid or be Mr. or Mrs. Nice. No, Lord, we want to be firm. Help us, Lord, to stand up, not just us, but all over the country as this goes out. Lord, give Christians a spine of steel, holy boldness to tell the truth in love. And, Lord, have mercy on our country that is sinking fast into the sewer.
1: Help us, Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord. And We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.